0: Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dave Sanderson. Dave is the president of Dave Sanderson Speaks International. Is that normally a tongue twister for other people? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And has quite the background, which I would love for you, Dave, to share with the listeners. But thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, well, Kim, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on with you today.
0: I would love if you would share a bit of your story with the listeners because you know your story better than anybody else.
1: Well, I guess here's the here's the short version of the story: uh, 31 plus years in sales and sales management, and then uh, one day on a routine business trip, survived a plane crash, which is now known in the public as the Miracle on the Hudson, and. I was one of the last passengers out of the plane, which wasn't my game plan. But I guess God has a mission for all of us, so He uh, He had me on that plane, and I was fortunate enough to survive. And and all of a sudden, I had a couple of epiphanies that came to me and made me make some changes in my life that not only helped my family but helped my career. And now I get the opportunity to impact people all over the world, traveling and speaking and doing workshops, writing books, and and you know doing interviews like with people like yourself so I'm very I'm a very very blessed person
0: uh that definitely sounds like it I mean surviving a plane crash wow miracle on the Hudson when was that like I I don't mean to to date you but like I lived outside of New York City right after 9-11 and I remember a crash after 9-11 but was this before
1: No, this is, it'll be 10 years this January 15th, 2009. So it'll be 10 years ago. So it happened January 15th,
0: 2009. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't, I've been staying out of uh, news streams pretty well for the last decade or so, because so much of what we see on, on the news is just depressing, right?
1: Yep. So There's not a lot of positive all things going on. No. Yeah.
0: So along with that, you used to be the security director for Tony Robbins. I mean, wow. What was that like? I mean, was that just as scary as a plane crash at times?
1: Well, it was it was an amazing time in my life because I was still working in sales. I was in sales at that point, for, and and I had the opportunity and was very honored to be asked to be on his team or, originally. And then... I was gracious enough to be able to gain his trust and certainty to be able to elevate myself to be his security director for approximately ten years. So it was a great learning experience, I tell people I mean when you have a chance to be around a master of anything, and that's one of the lessons my first mentor Bill told me, take the advantage. And so I had uh, always try to put myself in the proximity of great leaders, great mentors, great masters, and whether you agree or not, I think Tony's one of the greatest masters around in the art of communication and psychology and strategy. So I had the uh, the honor to be with him for over ten years, traveling the world and absorbing everything that he taught.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. When you get that opportunity, definitely take it. If I could have been a fly on the wall in any airplane for any of those trips around the world, oh my gosh, I would have taken yep. that. Right? Exactly. So exactly. How go from being in sales. I mean, in at th- To, at the same time, being a security director, what were you doing that introduced you? And then I want to go back to the epiphanies that you had after the plane crash.
1: So what really transpired is, you know, I was in sales and I was doing all right. I was making it. And I was pretty young. I was, this is... I was about what, what 31, 32 at this point in time. But my first, like I go back to my mentor because I, I am, I'm sharing a lot of things that my mentor now has shared with me. And he, he told me to put my, you know, if I want to be anything, be a leader, put yourself around a peer group like that, and they will elevate you to that level. And of course, when you're young, Kim, it's like, how can I fast track this thing? Man, I got to get going. I mean, I'm, I'm behind the curve. I've got, a, I got one child, another one coming. You know, we got to get some things going. So. I signed up to go to a seminar in San Diego, which happened to be a Tony Robbins seminar. It was the first, first one I went to of his. But, and after I came back from that seminar, I all of a sudden started kicking the gear I lost like 25 pounds. And, and I also you know, became the top sales producer of our company for that year. And so, you know, financially we're doing pretty well. And, and, you know, all, all of a sudden I'm losing weight. I feel good. So you're, you feel like you're Superman, right? It's like, okay, yeah. if, I, if, I can, if I can get something like this out of going just to one seminar, what could I do if I went to more seminars and put more good stuff in my head? But you know what? They're expensive. They are. <laughs> and you had to take time off from work. And fortunately for me, I had a, I had a vice president. His name was Gordon Lane. and Gordon gave me a lot of support in taking time off because he knew that if I went out and did what I did the year before for him, he'd be a rock star too, right? right. He'd be the vice president. So he encouraged me to do these things, but I had to figure out a strategy because I didn't have the money. I mean, we're having our second child, right? We're doing okay, but things are happening. So I, I signed up to be a volunteer, and, you know, because that way I could go to the seminar. Yeah, I had to work and, you know, do all this, but I could at least be around the energy of the event. So I signed up and one of the first volunt- some ones I signed up for was in Maui, Hawaii. Oh it was my a gosh. great place. It was a great place. Right. But I was one of those guys. I tell people, one of those guys at midnight that were putting down those brochures. Right. Where everybody's in bed doing their thing. I'm putting brochures down in the seats for the next day. And fortunately for me. His wife was actually around, his first wife. And she was speaking with two gentlemen, but she looked uncomfortable. And I just went up to her and said, Mrs. Robbins, your your husband said he needed you in the back. That's all I said. And she said, thank you. And She asked, you did that pretty well. I said, well, you you look like you didn't want to get away. She goes, well, you did that pretty well. Would you like to be on on Tony's security team? I'm like, it's a lot better than putting down brochures. (laughs) So uh, she put me at the back door of his green room. So for four days, I just sat at this back door. I did nothing but sit and just make sure no one got in who wasn't supposed to be in. Hmm. But yeah, you know, I, I saw how this thing was working, and I was being around this energy, and, and fortunately for me, I got to do that more often, and he got certainty in me and elevated me to having his, his backside, you know, the, you know, the blind side they call it in football, right, his back shoulder on stage, and then to his right side, which controls the room, and then he, he was so kind and saw enough in me that, made me the head of security for a number of years and sort of elevated me to know I managed the team but also managed his logistics. So I but it just happened to be the right place at the right time and I did something to help somebody. And I think I tell people and the people I'm you know, I talk to and especially Gen Xers and millennials, Kim, that, you know, it's all about adding value first to get and you get it back tenfold some Absolutely. way, somehow. Yep. But you have to give it out first. And people, a lot of people I talk to now, Kim, especially younger folks, they think, especially since they see it on YouTube, well, they can get it right now. They don't have to put the effort in. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do anything to get it. And I tell people, you know, nothing in life that easy. You have to add value first. And and that was one of the first things that I learned when I first w- heard one of my first tapes from Zig Ziglar is, you know, you, you add value first and all of a sudden you become the greatest of what you want to be because you gave it first. So uh, that's what happened.
0: Wow. I can imagine with my with my husband, if he knew that you had intervened with me like that, he would be forever in your favor. Because just I mean and I know they're no longer together, but I know she's still in the organization, I think, right? Just watching out for the loved ones of other people that just builds such rapport.
1: Yeah, I and I, I agree. and I think, you know, when he started engaging with his new wife, it was, she's been now with 10, over 10 years, I guess, married with him. But I, I got to know his, his second wife extremely well and spent a lot of time watching her backside, right? Making sure she could do what she needed to do. And I spent a lot of time on the road. So you build that rapport and you know, rapport leads to certainty. And, and it's one of those covenants that I used in sales that helped me do what I did because, a lot of people, and I did this originally, Kim, I'm I'm, those, I'm not I'm a slow learner because you know, it took me a little while to figure it out. But if I could build rapport with my clients uh, before I asked them for their business, then they had certainty that I was going to be there for them when times got tough. And that's how that's one of the shifts that I made in my sales career that uh, catapulted me from being a good salesperson to being one of the tops in every company that I was with.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So what did you do? Just call and see how they were doing or how did, how did you go about building rapport with them before you were selling stuff to them?
1: uh, That's a great question because what I did is like I, like I mentioned, I, I learned and absorbed pretty much everything up to that point that Tony was teaching. And so I was putting those things into practice and so one of the things I did, and I, and I actually did a work, I do a workshop on this, these four or five strategies that he taught me, and he teaches everybody, but you know, I was around, but, and number one was understanding how people think, right? Mm-hmm. Why people think and how they make how to make their decisions, which he calls the six human needs. So I really, really got involved with how to understand why people think. And then, as he also teaches, this sensory acuity is how to communicate in the way that the other people you want to communicate with communicate and that came to light for me on a personal level and all of a sudden the light bulb went off because i don't know how long you've been married kim i've been married now 31 plus years and um there are times in the marriage that sometimes communications is challenged i'm sure <laughs> in your life it's it not that way <laughs> sure it's always so it's always pixie dust and sunshine in your uh, life i'm sure but in our relationship we had those times and yep. And, you know, and either I was right or she was right. And, but that's not the way it works. So I figured out, I, I said, you know what, let me try this with my wife. And my wife is extremely auditory where my wife could talk for 30 minutes and not take a breath. Right. And don't interrupt her because she needs to get it out. Well, I am a visual talker. As you can tell, I talk, I talk my hands are moving around. I'm a visual talker. So, and visual talkers get it. So, you know, my wife, 30 seconds, I got it, right? I got it. I don't, You don't need to tell me 30 minutes on how to do it. I got it. But that's not what my wife wanted to hear. She wanted me to hear the whole thing. So, once I shifted my mindset, you know what? Let me go auditory this time. Just let me go auditory and sit there and absorb what she's saying and not interrupt her. All of a sudden, our, our relationship changed. I mean, uh, when I started practicing that one thing, just listening, and not going into my visual mode and going into her auditory mode. I said, if that worked in my relationship with my wife, which is the most important relationship that I've got, mm-hmm. how would it work in business? So I would start going and doing it. I would quickly identify how somebody communicates, whether it's auditory, kinesthetic, or, mm-hmm. or visual, and go into that modality myself. And all of a sudden, I build rapport very quickly because I'm in the same modality. So if somebody's talking visually, I talk visually back to them. You know, And they so all of a sudden, you build that subliminal rapport. Mm. So by doing those two things, all of a sudden, I built tremendous certainty and rapport. All of a sudden, instead of sitting in the manager suite, I'm sitting in the CFO suite. Mm. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm talking at different levels. And the company, and my last company I was with, which is a great company, management can never figure out how I was getting appointments with CEOs and CFOs, and everybody else was with CIOs and managers. And it's just by doing this one thing right here, wow. is by these two so that's that would help me become a top producer in pretty much every company that I was with.
0: Listeners, in the pre-chat, Dave and I were talking about our surprise last children. So this is going to be quite inappropriate. I'm sorry. Yep. But is that the secret about how those last two came to be in your life? Maybe it wasn't God's well, sense of humor, but you learned how to communicate with your wife better?
1: Well, maybe that was it, but Kaylee. I think <laughs> God, I think God wanted, wanted to, my mom, she probably said, you know what? Yeah, he needs a son. And I had $2 at that point. So yeah, he just kept coming until when uh, we got one. So I think, I think it was divine intervention for my mom more than anything else.
0: Yeah. Listeners, Dave and his wife thought they were done. My husband, actually, coincidentally, Dave and I thought we were done. Yeah. God yeah. has a sense of humor sometimes.
1: Yes, he gives you what you, he wants you to give you, not what you want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how did you transition from sales into speaking? And are you still doing sales? I mean, you have to sell yourself as a speaker. I I understand that.
1: So, no, I, uh, you know, so what happened was I was still working after the plane crash. I was still working. And, you know, you guys could make a living, right? I mean, I got four kids to put through college still. So, but I started speaking primarily locally and to Red Cross events and churches but I had an eye-opening experience at one of those events. And a lady came up to me and said something. And all of a sudden, light bulb said, like, you know what? I'm making impact with people. I've got to do this. This is my mission. I can impact more people around the world doing this, speaking, instead of selling software to my 20 companies that I'm with. But you still have to make a living. So I had to put together the strategy. And so that's why I tell people, you get you get your mentors, you get your board director. you got You got to have other people to see how they have done it. And also, going back to my wife, I had to give her certainty that I'm not going off the deep end, you know, because she, you know, she's had for 30 some years, certainty around benefits and paychecks. And this is how we do. And, you know, the house gets paid and all this stuff. And by the way, this is when all the health insurance stuff was going down. And by the way, we got to have health insurance. And don't you go off the deep end. Right. And leave us without health insurance. So. Once I figured that out, Kim, you know, we had it was January fifteenth. I think now it'll be five years ago in February. Yeah, that uh, I was on CBS on the evening news, and I was in New Jersey and New York doing a media tour and speaking around the anniversary. And she saw that on TV, and and she called me after midnight. And when I got to the hotel, she said, you know, hey, you know, maybe you should do this full time. Mm as soon as she said that, two weeks later, I gave my notice as soon as I got back. And two weeks later, I was doing this full time and and start figuring it out.
0: Wow. So what does full time look like to you? I know you have four children. And sorry, I'm stacking questions here. How old are your children now? And how much are you traveling during a year versus being at home?
1: Well, so the, one of the biggest changes I talk about after this is now I get to prioritize the time, my time the way I want to. Where, you know, if you're working for somebody and you're working for an employer, they you work for their time, right? And if they tell you that you need to be in New York, you got to go to New York if you want to make a paycheck. So I said the biggest thing now is I schedule my time around my family and then everything else comes afterwards. But – which change, of course, kids grow. So now I have one child who's almost 27. She'll be 27 here in a couple of weeks. And one who's 25, one who's 21 and one who's will be 17 in about a month. So we only have one at home now, three are gone. So that's helped out a lot, but now I get to schedule my time around this. So I do travel still, you know, about anywhere from, actually, I think it was 78 times. I spoke a hundred times. I traveled over 78 times last year. And this year, probably about the same amount, but the opportunity where I now can schedule around my family's time. Yeah. So that's the, that's the difference.
0: So I am just about to spend a week away from home again. I just got back a week ago from spending a week away and I have three-year-old twins and a five-year-old. It's a little bit stressful for my husband while I'm gone.
1: Yeah, so, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But this will only be the third time that I've been away this year, but my husband understands, you know, This has to be done in order to keep on growing the business the way that it's growing right now, and you know we have to do what we have to do so we can do what we want to do. I love getting out there, though. I live in Dayton, Ohio, and getting out there and being with people in San Diego and Austin. I mean, those are such big entrepreneurial centers, and those are where my clients are, but there's that that balance because those are only three of my kids. I also have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old who are so active in orchestra and soccer, so... They have to come first, and I feel sorry. I'm actually going to be missing my oldest 16th birthday this upcoming like Monday. He's not getting a car, except for maybe a matchbox, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, I understand.
0: Looking forward to next year, though, I have to be in, in Florida in February, and it just happens to be right after President's Day weekend. So I've already decided we're going to do Disney. We've never done a family vacation outside of seeing family, and let's just be real. Sometimes seeing family is not really a vacation. Maybe that's just me. Yep. So we're going to do Florida in conjunction with an event to you just, I mean, Florida with our kids could still be stressful, but at least it will take some of the pain off of mom being gone for so long.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what were the big epiphanies? Like, I know you've touched on them already, but what were your big ahas that came out of the plane crash? Because I can think of a few things that would have gone through my mind, but I would love to hear what went through yours.
1: Well, first, as I mentioned, the time was one of the biggest things, you know, how I managed my time. But one thing that I really it was, it's like a slap across my face. And I realized my first mentor, Bill, what he said was correct. And then, I mean, I met Bill in 1986 and and gave me measurable. I mean, I, I can't tell you the power of having a mentor. That's what one of the things I'm doing now is, but, you know, the different, one of the big opinions was I was working to live instead of living to work. Mm. You know, and, and candidly, that was because I had to figure out how I could have a life and just work so I could have a life instead of having to work right just to survive right and that was that was one of the big epiphany and the second big epiphany i think uh, i had was is number one is i ask a question you know and you i think you asked this to your clients too and i mean simon Sinek says in one of his ted talks and i i was in a ted talk so i watched a lot of ted talks is you know the power of why right so why Absolutely. am i doing this but more important is why not more importantly why not me and more importantly than that is why not me now mm-hmm. and, and that was those four questions I started asking myself and that's what sort of spurred me on to be able to do what I did so I think those are two of the big epiphanies there's a lot of epiphanies from being less judgmental with people and some things that I talk about in my TED talk but I think those are probably two of the epiphanies I don't talk about a lot and um, yeah, people stop usually on the why but it's really why not, why not me and why not me now and you have to go deeper. So I I think that was the one of the biggest epiphany that I had.
0: Absolutely. When I lost my job as an interior designer in 2008, and I joined a local networking group, and it was in that group that I met somebody who introduced me to Tony Robbins. So this is like 2009. Mm-hmm. And okay, full disclosure, everybody, I got a a copy of The Edge, I think. It was a mm-hmm. seven-day program that I right. shouldn't have had. I don't have it anymore. Don't ask me to share it with you. But one of the exercises that he was taking us through was, what will you gain out of doing this action? And what's the cost of not doing it? And that was a huge eye-opener for me. Like, what is it going to cost me if I don't just get started? But it wasn't for another, it wasn't until 2016 that I really understood the why. Mm -hmm. And when I really started putting those together, bang.
1: Yeah, that's the epiphany. That's the, the, the moment of clarity that I talk about, you know, and and then I talk to it's a moment of clarity, but then then all of a sudden that's when your life starts becoming transformed. Is when you start understanding the bigger picture and I tell people, you know, when people ask me what's that last moment going down in a plane crash like? And I said I tell people it's like the movie of your life is passing before your eyes. And so quickly you see things with clarity that you hadn't seen in thirty, forty years. I mean, and I, I mean I saw my first girlfriend, it's like she was vivid. I saw me playing little league baseball. And that's why I tell people that's when you get that clarity of why you're here. And all of a sudden, once you understand the why you're here, then all of a sudden you, everything starts coming together and that's when you can start really making making progress. But as you just said, and Tony talks about it and straight from the Bible. It's all about taking action. You know, and Jesus talks about this. I mean, faith without action is nothing. You right. got to take action. Right. It's all about taking action.
0: So I was in a different networking group in 2009, and I made a great friend. He's still a friend today who introduced me to the law of attraction. And I know that's a little bit woo for some people, but I was in a, I went on to a Yahoo group afterwards just to learn more. was an instantly enthralled, but I was amazed by all these people who were saying I just want to win the lottery. And my response was, well, I don't care about winning the lottery. I would just love to work for somebody who did. And no joke, Dave, within a month afterwards, I was introduced to somebody who had just won the lottery and was looking for somebody to help them do interior design in their home. But there's, so many people who talk about, yeah, you can manifest these things, you can think about them. I do believe that you can manifest positive things into your life. But I also believe that there's a lot of work that has to be done, both mentally and physically, in order to make it happen. I mean, God will bless us. Sorry to be getting so spiritual here, people. You know, I don't normally go that deep into religion. But God will bless us. But we have we can't just be sitting on the couch watching TV all the time if we want those gifts to be brought about.
1: No, you're right. I mean, it goes back to you know the story of you know, the flood, right? And, you know, the guy was on the roof and, you know, God will save me. And he sends a boat. God will save me. No, no, no. God, and the guy comes in with a helicopter. God will save me. And all of a sudden the guy dies, goes to heaven and he faces God for the first time. He said, God, why didn't you save me? You said you he said, I gave you a boat. I gave you a helicopter. I gave you every opportunity, but you got to save yourself first.
0: Oh, I love that story. I'll use that all the time. I mean, oh my gosh. You're going to get me on a roll now. Do you think that a lot of people get stuck where they are because they don't, they're not aware that there's alternatives? Or do you think they're just waiting for the opportunity to come into their lap?
1: No, I, th- I think a lot of people are, are afraid. They're afraid to make a mistake. And I think a lot of people at that point in time, they think that, and I, and I tell my kids this, yeah, nobody owes you anything. Yeah, you know, and and I tell I think most people get scared to take an action because what if I fail? And I, I mean, my son's that way now. He's a 17 year old, right? And he doesn't want to be seen as uncool. And you know, I probably was the same way, but I don't think I was because at 17, I was trying stuff that I shouldn't been trying. But I wasn't afraid to fail. And you know, Tony talks about that, right? It's the fear of failure. The people that stagnates people, that why they won't take any action. So I think a lot of times. Yeah, the great entrepreneurs and great, great leaders are not afraid to take a risk and fail because, you know, only time you see failure is if you quit. You know, I, you know, one of the things I talk about, I never see failure as failure, but only as an opportunity to practice my techniques and perfect my performance. So I look, I, I mean, those are, these are the things I say to myself, so I can't fail. Yeah. So I right. think a lot of people are stagnant because they're afraid to fail.
0: Okay. You said something and I can't let it just go, but at 17, what were you doing that you shouldn't have been doing?
1: Well, you know, I was probably drank <laughs> I was probably drinking and Kaylee you know I was a football, I was a I was a pretty good football, basketball, track and baseball athlete, you know, I was and doing all those things, I was you know, I'm on, on a fast track for everything and back then, back in the mid 70s, legal drinking age was 18, so I was probably doing some things like that. Well, I know I was doing things like that. I'm not saying I probably I was doing things like mm-hmm. that was probably but, you know, at the same time I was still driven. Yep. And I wasn't really caring what people thought that I was uncool doing, going to church on Sunday. Yeah. You know, it wasn't cool to go to church. Well, you know what? I was going to church. Yep. Maybe. Yep. So I think, I think the kids today, especially my son's going through this now. He's he's so afraid to be uncool. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, you know, it's only uncool if if you don't do anything. So,
0: Absolutely. When did you have your first job?
1: My actual first job uh, I'm not going to count umpire and baseball I did that from 15 on. Oh, I think you
0: can totally was, count that.
1: I got money for it. It was five bucks a game, which was big money back in the uh, mid-70s, uh, enough to do things I probably shouldn't have been doing. But I think my, my, my first job was I worked graveyard shifts at a, a place that made brake shoes for cars. And I hated it. But I was making $8 an hour in 1978, which was huge money, yeah. right? huge money. I was banking it. But it was one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. I tell people, I said, I'm glad my dad made me take that job. Back then, I hated him for it. I mean, my, I said, my dad helped me get it. But I said, you know what? That was a great learning experience because what I realized is this. Those people who I was working next to were actually putting their kids through school at eight bucks an hour. I was just getting money to go to college. And second, I realized I never wanted to work midnight shift again in a, in a factory making break shoes. Mm-hmm. I, said, I, so I, never, I said I made a commitment. I would never do this again, which was a great learning experience for me because I could choose if I wanted to go back, but I'd never gone back. And it gave me the just to get that education and take the action I needed to.
0: Yeah, my first job on payroll was actually working at my church rectory. I had to serve the priest dinner and clean up after dinner and serve coffee. And I was making four twenty six an hour between 95 and 97
1: That's not cheap.
0: Well, it was minimum wage in New York at that time, yeah. so that's what I got paid. But it was enough, you know, to fund what I wanted to do. But I got to share, listeners, you've heard, I burn dinner consistently and constantly. There was one day that I put instant coffee into the coffee pot. That was the last time I ever did that. You don't want to do that. Yeah. What are your most passionate speaking topics today?
1: Well, the one I'm really passionate about is one I did in a TED Talk. And it's really around post-traumatic growth syndrome. And people ask, what, what the heck is that? And mm-hmm. I'll go into it a little further. But it's about how can you grow from a traumatic life experience, not just a plane crash, but from fire, a flood, a hurricane, which we just had down here in North Carolina, yeah. you know, health scare, cancer, you know. And there's ways you can actually grow instead of going to PTSD, which so many people do. And you can understand why they go. That direction, but there's also ways to go the other direction, and, and I was one of the fortunate ones that and learned how to do it, but actually processed it and did it. So that's it's probably the most passionate topic. When I get on stage, I speak about now. And that's why I did my TED talk on is about how to grow from these traumatic life experiences we we that we all face. It doesn't matter. I tell Kim, I tell people, it doesn't matter whether you're the Queen of England or you're the guy in the janitor. You know, everybody's going to have something face them in their life. How many people in Wilmington, North Carolina, two weeks ago? I live in Charlotte, 150 miles away. Ever thought that they'd be having a hurricane coming up, you know, right right, right in their backyard and lose everything. And they, they have a beautiful home. They, right. they, everything's going well for them. Right. Everybody's going to have something.
0: What was the expression again? Post-traumatic. Say it one more time.
1: Post-traumatic growth syndrome. Growth PT- syndrome. Yes.
0: That's amazing. I love that. And I can totally see in my own life and my husband's life how that growth has happened, and but I can also see the scariness that comes out the other side. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There absolutely. Is, there is,
1: Could, and it's, it's, there's a lot of ways to do it, but uh, you, you know, a lot of ways to handle. It. That's what I talk and teach about now is the strategies on how to, how to grow instead of go into a depressed state. But there's sometimes it's clinically to the point where you have to get help, and so yeah. you know, it's just not that way. Okay.
0: No, absolutely. What are you most excited about, Dave, in the next 90
1: days? Well, that's a great question because there's a lot of things. We're rolling out a lot of different programs and things, what we're doing here. But what I'm really excited about and something that I just just shared today, actually. And I was, I talked, you've heard me talk about my mentor, Bill. And Bill left me me 12 of his principles. And the story behind Bill is when I first met Bill, I was working in a restaurant. He wore a flannel shirt and drove a pickup truck. And didn't think much about it, but I found out Bill on 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina. He was a multimillionaire, and he took me under his wing. And over the next number of years before he passed away, he was still my mentor along with other people. But he was teaching me these, these lessons that he got back in the early 20th century that were passed down to him. And he, he shared with me his 12 principles of making him a multimillionaire. And he told me, he said, one day, he said, one day, all I ask is you share these with somebody else. So you keep this going. And so I made a determination that, you know, over the next several weeks that uh, I'm going to take on a few of these students and who who want to learn these things that I learned from not only Bill, but all these other people like Tony Robbins and Tom Hopkins and Jim Rohn, that who who came into my life. I'm going to share these things to pass it on and leave the legacy. So bill won't ever die and the person he was with back in the early 20th century back in the 20s I'm sure with him won't die
0: how did you meet bill and how would you encourage the listeners to go out and find their own mentor
1: well i met bill he he showed up in my restaurant i was managing a restaurant mm-hmm. and he and his wife would come in and he just started talking to me you know and he just he and i struck up a relationship that way and and all of a sudden, he I think it's one of those moments where you know, he found somebody that who was young, who was aggressive, who wanted—he knew that he could do more than manage a restaurant, you know? And he needed—but he needed guidance. So when I asked, I said, Bill, just, would you just sort of give me some guidance on what I need to do? Because I'm down here in Charlotte. I know nobody— and I need somebody just, and he, so he took me under his wing. So I tell people, I, I would take on a few people as to mentor them, but just like Bill mentored me. And, and other people, like Tony mentored me, right? I mean, we would go to Fiji and we'd sit in the hot tub and he was teaching me these lessons, right? And he was mentoring me. So I tell people, if you want to mentor, there's mentors out there who want to be mentors, but you have to, you have to seek it out. I mean, they'll show up. Like you talk about that law of attraction, they will show up. But you gotta have enough acumen to say, you know what? Maybe this is what I've been waiting for. And don't be afraid to approach them and, and ask people, say, hey, can you so help me through this, or just give me some guidance, or what would it take? We talked about putting yourself in front of masters. Put yourself in front of that person, and you know, I've taken a lot of people out, came for coffee and things, or coke or whatever, just so I could be around their energy and learn. And I say it's worth the five bucks. You know, to get access to some of these great people. I mean, one of the I'll give you an example as we wind down here. And I met by, through Tony, and you know, there's a gentleman who's is down in Atlanta. He's one of the top traders in the country. He worked for Sir John Templeton, so he was basically taking the lessons the number one trader back, way back in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and, and took it. And so I called him one day, and I was going to be, I said, I'm going to be in Atlanta. Would you give me 30 minutes? And he said, I'll give you 30 minutes. And he sat down with me, and from that point on, I could give him a call and say, Hey, hey, Jim, you know, I, I need help in this. And all of a sudden, he was mentoring me on how to really work through the financial aspects of that I was really messing up on. So. You know, people come into your life, the law of attraction, people come into your life, but you have to have enough acumen to say, you know what, maybe this is the thing I need. This person showed up for a reason. And how can I help that person? How that can that person help me?
0: Absolutely. There was a time when I was doing a lot of uh, networking on LinkedIn and I went at it that I just wanted to get to know people. So, one of the messages that I would send after I got the new connection was, I would love to hop on a 30 minute or 15 minute virtual coffee with you. And I was shocked by how many people came back and assumed that I just wanted to sell. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of people are now. You know, they get the instant connection notification and they just we're being sold at so often that often we don't think about the fact that we can or that other people are really just trying to build a relationship.
1: Yep, exactly right. Yeah, but you have to give too. You have to give something out. Oh,
0: absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, it's all about you. It's all
1: about
0: you. Yeah, and I put right in my messaging, this is not to sell you. I would just like to get to know you and how I can support you. And But I guess some people think that the support means that it's going to come with a price tag. Well, for me, it's not about the price tag. Actually, if you don't mind, I, I just want to put a, sh- a query out to the listeners. I would love to know what you would like me to talk about on the podcast and what guests you would like to hear from next. So... I want to support you. Just leave a comment in the show notes. And I would also love to know what nugget you have gotten out of this episode. And you can leave your comment at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP506, where you will also find show notes, a transcription, and where you can find Dave, which I would love to ask you now, where can people find you online, connect, and get to know you better?
1: Thank you, Kim, for giving me that opportunity. So the best way, of course, is my website at DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. Uh, you can get in contact with them and see some of the things that we're doing. Or like you just said, I do a majority of my work now through LinkedIn. So I think that's a great way to connect with me because I'm all LinkedIn pretty much constantly. That's where I'm doing a lot of my work. And uh, be more, I'd love to give something back because you had it to me on today. So if, if anybody who's listening today, would well, they they would text 797979 and put the word brace, the number four, impact in. I'll send them free a gift of a video that I did for uh, a group in Canada a number of years ago. It's called Overcoming Adversity in Challenging Times. It's uh, it's something that's around the post-traumatic growth syndrome, but it's a free video because everybody's going to face that time. And if all I ask is if you text it, you get it, pass it on to a youth so they can uh, start getting some of this, these nuggets of wisdom earlier in life than later in life.
0: Fabulous. And that, again, is 797979, and you send the message BRACE. We will brace. have that.
1: Number four. Oh, brace for impact. Four. Right. The number four, impact.
0: Yep. Fabulous. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Dave, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners?
1: Well, I, I think the one thing i like to say now is, is, you know, I learned from my mentor and then with Tony is, you know, focus when you're focusing your time and your management of time. You know, most people focus on everything they got to do instead of focusing on the outcomes. And if you start focusing, and it's called outcome-focused, purpose-driven, action-oriented. And that's what Tony teaches. And I, you know, if, if it's good enough for a master to focus on, these are the four outcomes I need to get this week. And you get the outcomes, and if you could, that way you can have more time to spend on your own personal life and living personally. So I would say over the next week, focus on scheduling the outcomes to the actions and see how much the difference your week will be.